Jesus. Jesus, thank you for how much you love us, God. Thank you for how you draw our hearts to you, even when we didn't know our hearts needed to be drawn back to you, God. Thank you, God, for... God, thank you just for who you are, for how much you love us and how good you are, Lord. And I just pray that as we go into the word, we would just open our hearts to you and we would let you speak into our lives and penetrate our hearts, God. Jesus, and Lord, just thank you. God, I cannot thank you enough. Jesus, you are so good. You are so faithful. Lord, you are so true. In the midst of everything that tell, wants to tell us everything else that is true and turn our hearts away from you, God, you are true. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I'd like to add my uh, welcome. I'm Pastor Jim, by the way. I, I serve as a senior pastor here at Bethel and have for the last 23 and a half years, almost going on 24 now. And uh, last week I began a message, a, just a, a I gave a message entitled Intention. I had had a word in my heart for several months, actually, about tension. And um, the definition of tension is it's an act of stretching, or it is the state of being stretched. And this stretching causes extension, which may result in discomfort, pressure, or stress. Many years ago, I shared last week, and I'm not going to re-preach the sermon, but I am going to hit some highlights here. Twenty years ago, I was in a season kind of like what was being expressed this morning, and thank you, worship team, for leading us into the presence of the Lord. And I was just thirsty. My my heart, my my soul longed for the Lord, and there was a, I was in a dry place and needed the Lord, and and out of that, the Lord brought me to, uh, through a series of prophetic events, brought me to Ezekiel 47 and the picture of the river of God that flows from the throne of grace. And that river flows, and wherever it flows, it brings life. And there are people, there's a place for the spreading of nets there that catch fish of many kinds. And then, in 10 years ago, I had a prophetic picture of a net. Not my wife, a net, as I clarified last week. My wife is a net as well. She's a vision to me every day. But this was a vision uh, that came specifically, prophetically. from uh, and, and the picture is in Luke 5 of when Jesus calls the disciples and the nets become so full that they're almost breaking and they have to call others to come and help with the, the great catch of fish. And Jesus says then, now here's the deal. I'm going to make you not just fishers. You're not going to be just fishermen. You're going to be fishers of men. Fishers of men and women. And when I got that picture of the net, I heard the Lord say, I, I, heard, I saw a net and I saw a weight coming into that net. And the weight from the interpretation the Lord gave me was of his glory, which literally means the heaviness of God, that I was gonna, we were going to receive the weight of his presence and the weight of the lost and broken coming to him. Well, over the last 10 years, we've certainly seen that unfold here in this house as he has helped us uh, begin to step into our calling as a house of prayer for all nations. The call of Bethel Christian Fellowship is to radiate life and joy as a house of prayer for all nations. Now that, that 
calling has continued to expand. And now, over the last two, three years, it's developed into now seven congregations. So there's seven congregations who make up the Bethel family of churches. It was beautiful to see the Bethel family yesterday at the International Bazaar. It was great. There was wonderful goods and things from all over the place. Um, And the call of the Bethel family of churches is to radiate life and joy together as a house of prayer for all nations. Now with that, there comes three pieces of the DNA, three strands of life together. There's the house, which is kind of what we talk about, the inn, which is that inviting hospitality, a place to belong. There's the up, the prayer, the intimate spirituality, a place to believe. And the out, the all nations, the intentional missionality, a place to become. But what I need us to recognize afresh this morning is that this calling will by definition inevitably put us in a place of tension. This weight on the net is growing, and with that, there is increasing tension placed upon us and upon this house. But that tension is a positive thing, because it is as the tension happens that we extend and grow and become and fulfill the calling. Without tension, we will never move forward. We will become uh, simply uh, inertia, and all of that will, will simply stop us in our tracks. But as we continue to willingly surrender ourselves and receive that tension, we will grow. So last week we looked at this in depth, and this morning I'm going to breeze through really quickly these initial things because it's going to be a part of what laying the foundation for what I want to share today because I want to follow up on the message from last week today. Inviting hospitality, we're a place to belong, a growing intercultural community, welcoming strangers to become friends. You've already heard that a couple times this morning. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1, the church has just begun, you know, the, the early church, it's growing, and it says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Last week, as we looked at that, we noticed here was the first church major challenge, the first church conflict, and there were three components to the conflict. One, the church was growing. Two, it was growing interculturally, because now it wasn't just Hebraic Jews, it was Hellenistic Jews. And three, it became an economic issue. It almost always does. All right? So, in the midst of that, the Lord gave very clear direction to the apostles and how to do that. And they formed, and they had the disciples, and the disciples came. And thank God for the many, many servants in this house that help keep the flow of life going here. I'm, I'm always amazed. I, I, I tell folks, I mean, so now we're a congregation of uh, aggregate of about 775 people, and, and, and I'm the only full-time pastor in all of that. Okay, so... Everything is done by bivocational ministers and by you, (laughs) the ministry of the church, the servants, the deacons, the ministry coordinators, the people, and whether they have the title or not, the people that are living this out. So how do we respond to that tension? 
How are we called to, how can we positively respond to the tension that will naturally happen, okay? It's just a natural part of living life together. I mean, if you're married, you got tension, right? As I just mentioned to my wife again this morning, if a tree falls in the forest and a husband isn't there to hear it, does it still make a sound? Okay? You figure that out. All right. So, no. Actually, no. I'm sorry. That's not even right. If a tree falls in the forest and the husband isn't there to hear it, is he still wrong? Okay. That's, okay. That's it. All right. Now we got it. All right. Sorry about that. All right. Below the line. All right. There we go. All right. Well, one thing we can do is we can value unity, recognizing that relationships are more important than being right. Relationships are more important than being right. Valuing diversity. Differences are not simply to be tolerated, but celebrated. In our culture, tolerance is kind of the highest value. That's really not a kingdom value at all. (laughs) God has a much higher standard. And valuing synergy, connecting, communicating, collaborating, and contributing, recognizing that we're better together. We can do much more. Anything that you can do alone is much more fun doing with somebody else. Intimate spirituality, a place to believe, a joyful community, passionately pursuing God and hosting his presence. Jesus has this interaction in John 4, recorded for us in John 4, with a Samaritan woman where they're dialoguing and he unpacks her life to her. And then they begin this conversation about worship. And she says, well, I'm a Samaritan and us Samaritans, we worship God on this mountain. And you Jews, you worship God on that mountain. And Jesus responds and says, well, a time is coming and has now come. He says, it's not going to be on the mountain thing. It's when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for all of the, Anna, those, Jessica, wonderful uh, testimonies this morning. You, you guys nailed this right here. You see, um, oh, through the years, you know, how many different things, you know, we're all wired differently, okay? If you haven't figured that out yet, we're all wired differently. Worship is a very intimate and personal experience, and yet we're called to a corporate expression that is going to pull us sometimes out of our own individual comfort zones. And here it is. When we pursue his presence, we talk about a joyful community passionately pursuing God. We need to recognize that his presence is more important than my preference. His presence is more important than my preference. And our obedience is more important than our particular rules or rituals. That's what pursuing, that's what worshiping in truth is about. It's our obedience. Okay? Thirdly, I'm going through this really quick. You can get the CD as soon as we get it up on the website. Is it up yet, Ching? Not yet. Ching's having some computer issues, but as soon as we can, we're going to get this up on the website last week, so you'll be able to listen to it. Otherwise, you can pick up a CD today. We're a place to become a life-giving community, living out God's mission to reach all peoples. Now, Jesus has this interaction. He has these interactions all the time. You read the Gospels. It's incredible. He's always meeting with those people. Can you imagine? He meets with those people. Now, you know who those people are. Those people aren't us. They're those people. So he has this interaction with Zacchaeus, who's a tax collector, notorious. He's, he's like, you know, I mean, this is like, I don't know what 
it would be today, a drug dealer, I suppose, something, I don't know, somebody who's just a pariah in the community because they're, they're, they're a parasite living off of other people, okay? Maybe a Wall Street banker, I don't know. Okay, so Jesus said to him, yeah, sorry, okay, this is not, whatever, I'm just trying to give all spectrums, okay? But it's people, all right. But Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We're not here, as Pastor Sam told us, shared with us a couple of weeks ago in our final of the Iraq Foundation series. We're not here to be a fortress. We're here to be a force. When Jesus went out, here was the thing. Before Jesus, if unclean touched clean, clean became unclean. But because of Jesus, when clean touched unclean, unclean became clean. Paul said, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessing. So here's the thing. We're called to radiate life. Our purpose is to bless and be a blessing wherever we go. That's your calling right here. Whether it's at school, at work, in your neighborhood, in your home, wherever you are, you're called to bless and be a blessing. That's radiating life and radiating joy. Our gospel is infectious, bringing light and hope wherever it goes. I hate the way the church has been represented. It just absolutely grieves my heart. Because it's not who we are. And I'm not talking about Bethel Christian Fellowship. I'm talking about the church in our society. But God's got so much. I mean, we're radiating life and joy. All right. So every Tuesday I meet with pastors. I've been meeting with pastors for prayer for 20 years. I have a wonderful cadre of friends that we've gathered together and we pray and we share and we talk. And, and I was sharing about this message just a little bit. I didn't preach it to them. I just shared with them that I shared this message on Sunday. And one of the, my pastor friends who's in the group said, well, I have a great follow-up for you. He said, i got a great sermon title for your next message. He said, you should call your next message Good Intentions. (laughs) And I was like, huh. I was not exactly sure where I was going to go today, but now I am. So there we go. Good Intentions. All right. So in Romans chapter 12, and we've come back to this scripture many times, and I love this out of the Living translation today. The New Living. Romans 12, 1 and 2. If you've got a Bible, you can look in front of you in the Pew Bible or in your own Bible, but we're going to look at the New Living for a moment. So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's perfect will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, here's the deal, people. We just sang, oh, how he loves us. He loves us. But I've told you once, and I've told myself once, I've told myself and you a thousand times that God loves us too much to leave us the way we are. This morning in prayer earlier, before service, the Lord just reminded me, and I prayed about his fierce love. His love is fierce. 
His love is fierce. And because he loves us too much to leave us the way we are, he is always about transforming us. He's relentless. We heard that in the membership testimonies this morning. And he wants to transform and change us. But guess what? When he changes us, it creates what in our lives? Tension. (laughs) So the question becomes, how are we transformed by good intentions? Okay, got your Bible? Come with me. Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 10 and 11, actually. Familiar passage. You've heard me. Some of you shared on this before. We're coming back to it again because it is the... There are many places in the scripture that talk about good intentions. This is one of the best. All right, so come with me, Acts chapter 10. We're going we're gonna to read through the story, and then I'm going to quickly walk through application. All right, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion who was known as the Italian Regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing and gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision and distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. And the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants and told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now, isn't it Hanukkah is starting on Thanksgiving, so this is what many of you men will be like on Thursday, okay? You're going to be falling into a trance while waiting for the meal to come, all right? Sounds like a guy. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord. I love that. No, Lord. Peter hasn't quite learned yet that those two words don't go well in the same sentence. Okay. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Well, this happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. And they called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs, and don't hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Well, Peter went down and said to the men, well, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into his house to be, into the house to be his guests. Now the next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along, and the following day he arrived in Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up, stand up, he said, I'm only a man myself. 
talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people and said to them, you're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him, but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send a jumper for Simon, who is called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And then Peter began to speak. Well, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with his Holy Spirit and power, how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We're witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, and they killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Now the apostles, chapter 11, verse 1. And the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, said, you went into the house of the uncircumcised and ate with them. When Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. And he goes and he tells the whole story of how that happened. And in verse 15 he says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. And then I remembered... What the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? And when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. All right, now, what does this have to do with us? How does this, let's go back to our question for a second. How are we transformed by good intentions? Peter was transformed by good intentions. So what's the process for you and I? Four things, all beginning with the letter R. Yes, all right, number one. Revelation. Peter has a revelation. He has a dream. He falls into a trance, and God speaks to him in a dream. Now, there are all kinds of ways in which God reveals himself to us. Scripture, dreams, visions, uh, circumstances, people. uh, That's for a whole other message. But I want you to know that God does bring us revelation. Faith, uh, Hebrews 11 defines faith as this, is confidence in what we hope for, 
assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And if you go on and read the rest of Hebrews 11, you read about men and women who lived their life in tension, with good intention, because they were having a revelation of something that was beyond themselves. And so we are called to receive from God a vision. He births in us a vision of a preferred future. Something that is better than where we are and where we are living our life right now. In Acts chapter 10, Paul, I mean Peter says, I now realize, I now recognize, I've now had a revelation how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. For Peter, as a, you know, as a Jew, to suddenly have this revelation of God's grace extended to the Gentiles, brought him into and extended him into a whole new place, which put him in great tension. But he recognized there was a preferred future, something better than what was simply bound in his own cultural norm. In January, part of Mission St. Paul, which I helped to lead, the whole church bringing the whole gospel to the whole city. We're going to do a, a, a citywide gathering on Martin Luther King weekend on Saturday night at the Union Gospel Mission, January 18th, entitled Better Together, Becoming the Beloved Community. Martin Luther King Jr. was animated by a vision that was better than what existed in his time and in his place of a beloved community where character was more important than color. Where we treasure one another, a preferred, a preferred vision. All right, number two. After the revelation, almost always it requires repentance. <laughs> because we recognize how small our vision has been up to that point. Godly sorrow, 2 Corinthians 7 says, brings repentance, it leads to salvation, leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourself, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. Repentance motivates transformation. There's a godly sorrow that says, oh God, now I realize where my life has been and what it could be. I realize what living in the kingdom of death has produced in my life here on earth, and I want to step into the kingdom of life with you. And once we've stepped into the kingdom of life, there's this ongoing growth and development within us that takes us beyond where we are now. So we respond by changing direction, by overcoming inertia and nostalgia and fear again, Peter's words in Acts chapter 10, 28 and 29. We just read them, but hear them again. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or to visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. To move into the revelation, the fullness of God's call, we have to change direction and overcome our inertia. 
The comfort that says, well, I like it the way it is. Or nostalgia, which is, I like it the way it used to be. Or fear, I'm afraid of what it's going to be. Get it? This is important. You hearing? Okay. We've got to change direction. Overcome that inertia, nostalgia, and fear. Two more. Lunch is coming. Reorientation. After the repentance becomes a reorientation, we get reoriented into God's purposes. So from now on, 2 Corinthians 5, I love this. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. In other words, there's a complete reorientation that happens in our lives. We're no longer regarding Christ the way we used to. Suddenly, the veil has been ripped from our eyes and we see him as he is. And as we see him as he is, he begins to reveal those around us as they are. And we begin to align ourselves with God's plans and purposes and passions rather than our own. And we say, yes, Lord, not any longer, surely not, Lord. But we say, yes, We align ourselves with your plans, with your purposes, with your passions. Finally, representation, or what I like to call is re-presentation. Because it says, as it goes on in 2 Corinthians 5, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself. There's another R word. Through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, where therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So we represent the heart and hands of God to a lost and broken world. We become ambassadors of the kingdom to the kingdom of this world. We bring, as, as again, Mark, so grateful for these testimonies. They just fit right in. Bringing heaven to earth where we are. Not just here in two hours on a Sunday morning, but everywhere we are. We're representing Christ. It's an old cliche, but it's true. You're the only Bible some people will ever read. You can become, as it were, Jesus with skin on. We represent him to the world. That's what happened with Peter. All right. One more piece. Turn back to Acts 11. The church in Antioch. And this is just one slide. So I'm not going to go through all four again, but I want you to see what happens here. Verse 19, 11, 19. Now those who've been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message, listen to this, only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. 
telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was upon them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. we got to check this thing out. And when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And he was a man, a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, whose name becomes Paul, met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Listen to this. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Why were they first called Christians at Antioch? Because for the first time, the church had deliberately and intentionally moved beyond its own cultural bubble and had begun to minister to others than simply Jews, but went to the Greeks as well. And that's transformational. If you read the book of Acts, it's two significant parts. The first part, the church, it's all about the church at Jerusalem and what's happening at the church in Jerusalem. But starting in 10, 11, 12, and then deliberately with 13, when they send out Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey, the apostolic baton gets passed from the church in Jerusalem to the church at Antioch because the church at Antioch actually fulfilled Jesus' command in Acts chapter 1, verse Eight, to go to all the world. I'm sending, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that happened through the church of Antioch. And my prayer for this house is that we will not be a Jerusalem church caught in our own, whatever it is, church cultural bubble or, or American cultural bubble or whatever bubble it is that that, that we would naturally want to find ourselves comforting, find our comfortable place in. But that we will be an Antioch church that is going, led by the Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be That's why we're doing Mosaic Communities. That's why many of you are ministering and God's calling you to minister in your neighborhoods and you're like, what's that about? Why do I feel such a call to be ministering in my neighborhood? The reason you're feeling a call to minister in your neighborhood is because your heart is getting aligned with the plans and purposes and passions of God. And so we come together and we refuel together and this community is powerfully important because we don't want to give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But we want to continue to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. By the way, that's not a response to an earlier testimony. (laughs) God had a specific season for Anna to reorient her heart. But for us, there is... It's, it's the, the, the coming together as the community of God is to spur one another on. It's not simply so that we, you know, like each other and do our thing and we're safe in the ark 
away from the big bad world, but it's to prepare us to go back out and represent Jesus to a world that's desperately broken and dark and needs us there. So we're the church. This is the ecclesia, the church gathered. And then we're the diaspora, the church scattered. Every week, it's that rhythm. We're scattered, and then we come back together. And we scatter, and we come back together. I want to be an Antioch church. Anybody else? <laughs> well, new members, that's what you signed up for. Sorry. If you, you all just said yes. Okay? To become an Antioch church. I don't want to be a part of anything else. I don't want to be a part of anything less. I want to let his good intentions continue to stretch us. Because he is... You know what? He loves us and he's good. And he has your best in his heart. And his best will sometimes stretch you out of where you are right now. In fact, it almost always will. Because that's his heart. That's his purpose. All right, we're going to sing a song we haven't sung for a long time. But this is the one that's just like going around in my heart like a wheel here so this is that Antioch church this is the the church going forth to change the world you read the book of Acts and it says you know I mean it just talks about this transformation that happens I want to see transformation in our cities I want to see transformation in our neighborhoods I want to see transformation in our homes don't you come on let's stand together don't you want to see transformation would you open your hands please Jesus, help us to continue to learn how to embrace and engage your good intentions in us. That we might be changed into the fullness of what you would have us to be. That we could radiate light and joy here as a house of prayer for all nations. So Lord, I pray right now that you would fill each one here again today with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength, power, comfort, and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours. As you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations, go with the banner of his favor over your life. And until we meet again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that his love and mercy will chase you down every day for his glory and praise. God bless you. Go in his grace. In Jesus' name. Amen.